Dear listeners, are you tired of the endless cycle of fad diets and extreme measures? It's time to wake up to a better weight loss solution with Robody. As someone who's been through the ups and downs of weight loss, I know firsthand the challenge of trying to find what will stick. That's why if I qualified for Robody today, I'd jump at the chance for a scientifically backed program that supports long-term success. With Robody, you'll gain access to the most popular weight loss shots on the market, paired with personalized lifestyle changes. Over 200,000 people have already chosen Row to help them lose weight. Say goodbye to the roller coaster of weight loss dreams and hello to sustainable, real results with Robody. Go to row.co slash snoozecast. Sign up today and you'll pay just $99 for your first month and $145 a month after that. Medication costs are separate. That's ro.co slash snoozecast. designed to help you fall asleep. Find us on snoozecast.com and follow us on Instagram at snoozecast to find behind-the-scenes content. If you would like to get an email once a week with upcoming sleep stories and other news, subscribe to the snoozeletter at snoozecast.com. This episode is brought to you by Grand Entertainments. Tonight, we'll read about the etiquette of throwing balls from manners and rules of good society by a member of the aristocracy, published in London in 1916. A ball is a formal dance party characterized by a banquet followed by social dance that includes ballroom dancing. Let's get cozy. Close your eyes. Relax your body into the softness of your bed. Now, take a few deep breaths. Public balls are those balls for which tickets of admission can be purchased, although for many of those balls it is necessary to obtain vouchers from the committees or patronesses when held in town or at watering places. Public balls include county balls, charity balls, and subscription balls, etc. In town, ball giving is in a way a science and an amusement upon which large sums of money are frequently expended. A crowded ball 
is not always pronounced a good ball by the guests, often the contrary. But, then again, what is termed a thin ball is open to the accusation of not going off well and falling rather flat, of not being kept up with spirit, and of being considered a stupid ball, and so on. To hit upon a happy medium with regard to the number of guests is an achievement in ball-giving which is only arrived at by a careful study of the map of the county and a selection of night. This selection is of paramount importance to the success of a ball, as when a smarter ball is given at a smarter house on the particular evening chosen by the giver of a less brilliant ball, the grander ball extinguishes the lesser ball. Through the most fashionable people merely looking in at the one and remaining the rest of the evening at the other, this putting out, as it were, of the lesser light occurs very frequently during the London season to give ball givers moving in the same sets. The guests who have been expected to add luster to the lesser balls appear but for a few minutes and usually arrive rather early, at perhaps a little before eleven, and remain hardly half an hour in the rooms, making their way to another ball of the same caliber, and remaining there perhaps another twenty minutes, before arriving at the goal, the ball of the evening. Both ladies and gentlemen follow this practice, thus, at a little after twelve, an average ball-giver finds her rooms deserted by all but those who have nowhere else to go. Although the flitting of the guests thus early is a disappointment to the hostess, and although it does not prevent the fleeting ball-givers from making suitable returns by placing the family on their ball-lists, it yet greatly mars the enjoyment of the ball and prevents its being looked back upon with anything approaching to pleasure or satisfaction, the departure of the most eligible partners being not the least of the vexations of the night. These minor disputes are sometimes unavoidable, but, when practical, it is always best to postpone a ball rather than to allow it to clash with a ball of greater pretensions. An impromptu dance is often a great success, while an impromptu ball is almost as certain to prove a great failure. The difference between a dance and a ball consists in the number of the invitations issued, in the strength of the band, and the extent of the supper arrangements. At a dance, the number of the guests varies from 80 to 200. At a ball, they vary from 200 to 500. At a dance, a piano band is frequently engaged, while at a ball, a full band is requisite. At a ball, the floral decorations are a great feature. At a small dance, they are often dispensed with. 
ladies new to society, as it were, or whose circle of acquaintance is of a limited character, and who do not number in that circle many ball-givers, and who yet desire to form a ball acquaintance, frequently place their ball in the hands of some intimate friend of higher standing than themselves, giving her carte blanche to form a ball list. When this plan is followed, invitations are still sent out by the ball-giver. In every case, the name and compliments of the lady who forms the list are sent with the card. This plan, although of advantage to the hostess, is often productive of much unpleasantness to her unfashionable friends, who are naturally very much affronted at being excluded from the ball list, which they usually are, as a lady who undertakes to form a ball list for a friend is not a little arbitrary as to the conditions under which she assumes its management. She naturally wishes the ball to be confined to her own set to the exclusion of what she terms all outsiders. Ladies are always more or less reluctant to yield up their ball to the exclusion of their old friends, however anxious they may be to make new ones. But when a ball is thus given, it is thoroughly understood that conditions however stringent, must be compiled with. A hostess should receive her guests at the head of the staircase at a ball given in town, and at the door of the ballroom at a country house ball. She should shake hands with each guest in the order of their arrival. The ladies of a party should advance towards the hostess, followed by the gentlemen of their party. A lady and gentleman should not ascend the staircase arm in arm or make their entrance into the ballroom arm in arm. The gentleman invariably enters the ballroom after the ladies of their party and never before them or arm-in-arm with them. A ball is usually opened either by the hostess herself or by one of her daughters. Opening a fancy dress ball simply signifies dancing in the first quadrille. Opening a dance means dancing the first waltz. When a member of the royal family or a foreign prince is expected, dancing should not commence until the arrival of the royal guest. And when the royal guest is a lady, the host should open the ball with her, having his wife or daughter as vis-a-vis. When the royal guest is a prince, the hostess or her daughter should open the ball with him. When a prince wishes to dance with any lady present, with whom he is unacquainted, his equerry informs her of the prince's intention, 
and conducts her to the prince, saying as he does so, Mrs. A, your royal highness, or Miss B, your royal highness. The prince bows and offers her his arm. The lady should curtsy and take it. She should not address him until addressed by him, it not being considered etiquette to do so. The same course is followed by a princess. Strangers to the princess should not ask her to dance, but the host has the privilege of doing so. When more than one royal personage is present, the one of the highest rank leads the way with either hostess or host. Royal guests should be received by the host and hostess at the entrance of the mansion and by them conducted to the ballroom. At ball suppers, the same precedence is strictly in force. The royal guests leading the way with host or hostess. The same etiquette should be observed on the departure of royal guests as on their arrival. General introductions should not be made to royal guests, and introductions should be made by request only. Gentlemen present at a ball are expected to ask the daughters of the house for one dance at least. A hostess should use her own discretion as to any introduction she thinks proper to make. When a ball is given in the country, the hostess should endeavor to find partners for those young ladies who are strangers to the general company. But when a ball is given in town, she is not expected to do so, as in town the guests are supposed to be acquainted with each other, more or less, and to be independent of the kind of offices of a hostess. The dances mainly in vogue at the moment are Waltzes, the Boston, Two Steps, and the Cotillion, in which handsome presents are given. Quadrilles are danced at state balls, and at those balls at which the king and queen are present, also at fancy dress balls. Lancers are danced occasionally at hunt balls. The precedency observed in sending guests into supper is far more punctual followed in the country than in town. The host should take in the lady of highest rank present, and the hostess should endeavor to send in the principal guests according to their individual rank. But in town she generally leaves the guests to follow the host and lady of highest rank according to their inclinations. A guest should not enter the supper room before the host has done so. When a gentleman takes a lady into supper, 
you should reconduct her to the ballroom as a matter of course. The fact of friends joining her in the supper room would not relieve him from this obligation. And the same etiquette applies equally to a lady. She should return to the ballroom only with the gentleman who has taken her down to supper unless she is engaged for the ensuing dance when her partner might come in quest of her. She should then return to the ballroom with him. It is not unusual for guests to take leave of a hostess at a London ball. This remark applies to acquaintances of the hostess and not to intimate friends. At a country ball, the guests are on a more friendly footing than is generally the case in town. And, therefore, make a point of taking leave of the hostess if possible. It is optional whether a host conducts a lady to her carriage or not. In the country, more is expected of him than in town in this respect. As at a London ball, such a civility would involve a vast amount of exertion, which few hosts would be willing to undergo. Ladies accompanied by an acquaintance generally make their way to their carriages. The custom of covering in small balconies and the windows of the drawing rooms where a ball takes place rendering the atmosphere of the room almost insupportable from the total exclusion of air, is fast disappearing. The space gained by this means for the accommodation of the guests is totally disproportionate to the discomfort thereby entailed upon them. Ballgivers have at length realized the mistake of crowding 200 to 300 people together into rooms not properly ventilated. And it is now the rule, when covering in balconies, to introduce window frames into the bunting covering and to drape them with lace curtains, etc., the windows of the ballroom being entirely removed. Large blocks of ice are frequently placed in convenient spots for the purpose of cooling the atmosphere, and colored ice produces a pretty effect. Patent ventilators are also much in use, and the substitution of electric lighting on account of its emitting little heat has become general. Ball-goers appreciate these alterations as only those who have experienced the close, stifling atmosphere of an overcrowded ballroom can do. And as half the London ballrooms are only average-sized drawing rooms, the absurdity of excluding air from the ballroom with yards of thick canvas cannot be too severely criticized. Ball givers, too, frequently issue far more invitations than the size of their room authorizes, under the mistaken idea that to have a great crowd in their rooms 
is to give a good ball. But experienced ball givers limit the number of their invitations to under 200 instead of expanding it to over 300. The country ball season ostensibly commences in November, reaches its zenith in January, and terminates early in February. The stewards of these balls are, as a rule, the representatives of the various classes by whom they are attended, the members of the aristocracy residing in the country heading the list of stewards, and the members of the professional classes usually closing it. The top of the ballroom is, as a rule, appropriated by the aristocratic element, head stewards, and lady patronesses. The enjoyment derived from country balls depends upon a variety of circumstances, which do not influence in a like degree the ball-going world of London. Country balls are principally composed of a series of large parties brought by different ladies in the neighborhood where the ball is held. But there are two classes of country balls. Balls which are held in large and populous towns and attended by the principal residents of the towns with only a small sprinkling of the country, aristocracy, and country gentry. There are also hunt balls and annual charity balls which take place between October and February and which are an amalgamation of both classes of balls. The neighborhood where a ball is held is sufficient indication as to whether it is likely to be a smart one or not. As a rule, the leading ladies of a county lend their names as patronesses and supporters of a charity ball, although it by no means follows that they will personally attend it. But a long list of influential patronesses materially increases the sale of tickets, which is the result to be achieved. A large attendance is not the primary object of a county ball, as the sum raised by the sale of tickets is only required to defray the expenses of the ball, although these are sometimes considerable, especially when the decorations are elaborate and the arrangements on a grand scale, in which case there is not seldom a deficiency rather than a surplus, which deficiency is defrayed by the stewards themselves. To ensure a good ball, considerable unity on the part of the county ladies is demanded, and they usually meet and consult together previous to fixing the date of the ball, to take into consideration the fixtures of neighboring county balls and so avoid the possibility of the said balls clashing with their own county ball, and also 
with a view of perhaps attracting the house parties of their more distant neighbors to swell the numbers at their own ball. House parties invited for a ball vary from 10 to 25, as the accommodation of a house admits. It is not the province of the stewards of a ball to find partners for either ladies or gentlemen, and therefore, if a lady does not form one of a large party, but merely attends a county ball with a relative or friend, and has not a large acquaintance among those present, she has very little chance of obtaining partners. Young ladies do not now return to their chaperones after each dance, or after they have been to the tea room. A gentleman should offer his arm to his partner at the conclusion of a dance to conduct her to the tea room. In round dances, it is customary to take frequent pauses and not to race round the ballroom until the music ceases. At country balls, programs are invariably used at London balls, they are never used, save at public balls. County balls usually commence between 9 and 10 o'clock. Sometimes a ball is not opened until the most influential of the stewards and their parties have arrived. But more often than not, the two first dances are over before the arrival of the county magnates. It depends upon the length of the drive at which time people arrive at the ball. As a rule, they do not arrive later than 10.30 p.m. The usual mode of conveying a house party to a ball is by private omnibus in addition to carriages and motor cars. But when these are hired for the occasion, the expense should be defrayed by the guests themselves. It is usual to leave a country ball not later than half past two. The most fashionable people invariably do so about that hour. As a matter of course, persons attending public balls take their ball tickets with them. When attending a military ball or a hunt ball, it is usually the rule to take the invitation card and hand it to the sergeant or official in attendance. It is sometimes stated on the invitation card that this is to be done, although it is often taken for granted that persons will do so of their own accord. At balls given by private individuals, 
the invited guests should not bring their invitation cards with them, unless in the case of a ball mask, where they are sometimes requested to do so. In giving a ball three weeks' notice is considered necessary, but with regard to a dance, a short ten days' notice would suffice. The invitation card is the usual at-home card, the word dancing being printed in the corner of the card. The word ball should never be used on an invitation card, however grand the entertainment. And the same form of invitation is employed either in the case of a small dance or of a large ball, though in the event of a small dance, the words small or early should be written or printed on the invitation card. Invitations to a ball should be issued in the name of the hostess only. When the host is a widower with a grown-up daughter, the invitations should be issued in their joint names. When the host is a widower or a bachelor, they should be issued in his name. Invitations issued by officers, members of hunt committees, bachelors, etc. to their balls either request the pleasure or the honor of Mrs. Blank's company. But this formula should not be used by ladies when issuing invitations. The at-home card should simply bear the word dancing on the bottom of the card. The hour and date filled in the allotted space. The name of the guest written at the top of the card. In the case of a written invitation, it should be correct to use the words ball or dance when alluding to the entertainment about to be given in a friendly note. A lady or gentleman might ask for an invitation for his or her friend to a ball given by an acquaintance. Although the acquaintanceship were of a slight character, but a lady or gentleman should not ask for an invitation to a ball if unacquainted with the giver of it. The fact of mutual friends having received invitations to a ball gives no claim upon the hospitality of a stranger. Therefore, such requests are inadmissible. The proper course for a person to pursue in the event of desiring an invitation to a ball given by someone with whom he or she is unacquainted is to request some mutual friend to obtain one, and this course is always followed. Cards should be left by the guests present at a ball 
within the current week, if possible. Gratuities should never be given by the guests to the servants of the house where a ball is given. State Balls Two state balls are annually given at Buckingham Palace during the London season by command of His Majesty. Invitations are issued by the Lord Chamberlain, but His Majesty previously revises the list. When ladies and gentlemen attend a state ball at Buckingham Palace, they make their way to the ballroom unannounced, and there is no official reception accorded to them, either by royalty or by the Lord Chamberlain. Dancing does not commence until the arrival of the royal party, when the guests rise and remain standing while the royal quadrille with which the ball opens is being danced. The king and queen act as host and hostess on these occasions, but confine their attentions to those with whom they are personally acquainted. Ladies attending a state ball at Buckingham Palace should wear the usual full evening dress but they should not wear court trains or plumes or lappets. Gentlemen attending state balls should wear uniform or full court dress, dress coat, breeches and silk stockings, shoes and buckles. Trousers can only be worn as part of a uniform and not with a court dress. A gentleman intending to dance should remove his sword. Otherwise, he should not do so. When the court is in mourning, the ladies attending a state ball should wear mourning according to the official notice, which duly appears in the Gazette. Gentlemen should wear crepe on the left arm, which is supplied in the cloakroom of the palace to those who have forgotten to provide themselves with it, as it is imperative when the court is in mourning that a band of crepe should be worn at either state ball or state concert. The balls given by the princes and princesses of the blood royal are not state balls. Therefore, court dress is not worn by the gentlemen present. They act as host and hostess at the balls given by them and receive their guests, shaking hands with them as they are announced. Ladies and gentlemen do not take their cards of invitation with them to Buckingham.